Hey everybody, come on in here. Yeah, it's time. It's time for Coffee with Scott Adams. Omar, good to see you. JP, always a pleasure. Um, And welcome to your first day on Periscope. Edison. Well, it's good to see all of you, and what a strange day today is. We'll talk about that in a moment, but we're not going to talk about it until the simultaneous sip. That's why you're here, and all you need. What do you need? What do you need? Yeah, that's right. You need a cup or a mug or a glass of tanker, chalice of stein, a canteen jug or a flask, a vessel of any kind. Fill it with your favorite liquid I like, coffee. And join me now for the unparalleled pleasure, the dopamine hit of the day, the thing that makes everything, including the pandemic, better. It's called the simultaneous sip. Go. Mmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, let's take an accounting of all of the people and entities who have lied to us during a pandemic. Now, it wouldn't be big news that somebody lied to the public, because that's sort of every day somebody's lying to the public. But it feels that feels to me that lying to the public during a pandemic, about the pandemic, something important about it, that's sort of a bad lie. And so far, we've seen the CDC tell us that masks don't work, an obvious lie. The World Health Organization, who telling us that masks don't work, an obvious lie. China telling us that they've totally taken care of their problem over there, an obvious lie, uh, as well as a lot of other obvious lies. The Surgeon General telling us that masks, we shouldn't wear masks in the general public because they don't work, that's an obvious lie. And then, of course, the fake news in general. I don't, I don't have to give you any, any examples. But it's kind of remarkable, isn't it, that the, the entities that we, we thought we could trust, I mean, really, the Surgeon General, even I think even this morning he was back on Fox and Friends, just lying to the public. And, and the thing is that it's one thing to lie to the public when they don't know you're lying or they can't prove it. But when they know you're lying, and you don't even have to prove it because it's just obvious that material stops air, <laughs> you know, or slows it down. So it's really quite remarkable that they continue to do this right to our faces. So I don't think you could listen to any of these organizations um, going forward. So I don't think you should trust the Surgeon General, uh, the CDC, or who. You have to listen to them. But you're going to have to use your judgment, it looks like, because they're, apparently they're not committed to telling the public the truth for whatever reason or reasons. You don't need to know the reasons. You just have to know that apparently it's, not, it's just not an objective to tell you the truth. So keep that in mind. President Trump said something that you wouldn't expect to come out of his mouth. But again, you know... It's part of the reason that he's so appealing to the people who like him. I'm talking about Trump. That he just says stuff 
that you're only supposed to think. <laughs> you're not supposed to say it out loud. And then he says it out loud, and you think, well, I didn't see that coming. I didn't think he'd say that out loud. He's doing it again, but in a very delightful way, because I, 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 I like this. And so apparently, I don't know where he was, maybe on Fox and Friends or someplace, wherever he did an interview. Uh, Trump said, um, we, we want to always make sure that we have a great president. We have somebody that's capable. So this is Trump speaking. He says, I personally don't think Joe Biden is capable. The president said in an interview with Fox and Friends. And then he went on and said, quote, I wouldn't mind running against Andrew, talking about Andrew Cuomo. I have known Andrew for a long time. I wouldn't mind that. But I'll be honest, I think he'd be a better candidate than Sleepy Joe. And here's what's funny about that. That's 100% true. It's 100% true. The president is just saying it straight up, that he doesn't think Joe, Joe Biden is capable. And that's, it's just true, right? I mean, we're watching Joe Biden from his basement bunker struggle through to try to get through these little video things without gaffing, and he can't even do that. So the president's just calling it like it is. He's not capable. Uh, and the president said something that I've been saying. I've actually said this privately to Democrats, but also publicly, which is the country's a little bit exposed here. Because typically we've got you know two candidates, maybe you disagree with their policies, but they could both do the job. You know, They could both do the job, you just would prefer one or the, over the other. But that's not what we have now. We, we have a dangerous situation where people over 70 are, are at risk, We've got a president who's over 70, and he's not wearing a face mask. Every time you see him, he's around people. He's at risk. You know, we can't ignore the fact that our leaders, some of them might not make it. I mean, maybe in other countries more than this, but this is a real risk. And when I talk about the Democrats not having a viable candidate, I'm serious about that. That's, just, that's not joking around. That's not politics. They need to give us a backup plan. You know, what happens if, well, you know, worst case scenario, something happens, Trump quits, whatever. We need a backup plan. And I'm talking about before the election so that we have an actual candidate we can elect. I'm not talking about, you know, Mike Pence is a good backup, I think. In my opinion, you know, I wouldn't choose Mike Pence for president, but is he a solid backup? Yeah, yeah, he's a very solid backup, so I'm completely comfortable with that. But are you comfortable with Joe Biden being the backup in case something happens between now and Election Day? How could you possibly be comfortable with that? Now, would Andrew Cuomo be a better candidate and a better president than Joe Biden? Yes, yes, a a thousand times yes. And I don't even know that much about um, Andrew Cuomo, because I would say the same thing about almost anybody, right? Almost anybody. You know, the, the Bernie folks are different because they've got a, a quite different view of the world. So you could, you could argue maybe that's not better. But to have a mainstream Democrat who just can sort of do the job, you know, a John Kerry, just somebody who could do the job. I feel like the Democrats owe, it, owe the republic that. I feel like 
They owe us that. They, they owe us a real candidate, and, and, and I mean that. They owe us a real candidate. It's, it's no joke now. I mean, this, this is, playing, this is playing, playing at the top level, at the highest stakes, and Democrats are offering this just no option at all, really? You could do better than that. Um, so I don't think the president really thinks the Democrats could uh, you know, switch horses at this late stage, but I think he's being completely honest that he actually would rather run against somebody who's capable. I think that's actually true, even though you know, Andrew Cuomo might be able to beat him. <laughs> you know, if we're being honest, Andrew Cuomo might be able to beat him, but I don't think he's going to get in the race. Um, I'm going to mention this just because it's funny. You should put no credibility whatsoever on the next thing I say, even less than usual. So on the Internet, but not in the regular news, of course, there's some photographs that appear to show Governor Cuomo with his shirt being kind of tight. It appears to show that he has nipple piercings. Now, I'm no expert on nipple piercings, and why would I care one way or the other? <laughs> why, why would I care? I don't care if he has nipple piercings. He can have anything he wants pierced. I'm completely okay with that. And it shouldn't be a story. But apparently, according to the Internet, you can see it through his shirt, and it makes you wonder if, you know, it makes you wonder if he's even more interesting than you thought, in a good way. I have only good things to say about it. And by the way, I was just watching another clip of, you know, Chris Cuomo on CNN interviewing Andrew Cuomo. And i got to tell you, I could not recommend this more highly. Watching Chris Cuomo, uh, like, you know, do his little routine with his brother, you know, sort of the, the mocking each other and the love-hate stuff, is really good. It's just good TV, and you're also learning stuff that you want to know. I, I could not be more, more praising how good that is. Just you know, it's just sort of something we need. Like I, I feel like when we're all locked down, watching these two brothers, you know, who love each other, mock each other, is just really good for the the country's soul. Uh, one of uh, Chris Cuomo's <laughs> little uh, little digs at his brother Andrew. It, I, I had to write this one down because it made me laugh. And it is just a throwaway line. It was just one of the many things they said. So Chris Cuomo goes to his brother. He goes. I know you like to run around with your ill-fitting jacket. <laughs> I know you like to f- run around with your ill-fitting jacket. That is such a brother thing to say. That was great. Um, so I tweeted yesterday, and I mentioned before, that uh, it's jarring to me to watch the professional news people broadcast from home. I think they're using Skype. It looks like they're just using the laptops or whatever. And that part's fine. Everybody understands this is an emergency. But it's weird that they're wearing suits to Skype from their basements or their, you know, their living room or their basement or something. Kind of weird to wear a suit. So I have ruled as the creator of Dilbert. I have this authority. You probably didn't know this. But I can rule on office dress. And I rule that no matter what your job is on TV... If you're doing it from home over Skype, the proper, uh, the proper dress code is pajama casual. 
Now, pajama casual is what I'm wearing right now. It's sort of like the, the mullet of dress codes. Because from here up, oh, I'm all business. But from the waist down, it's pajama time. So it's like the mullet of dress codes. Um, here's something you didn't see coming. Trump is absolutely uh, just killing the rich to transfer money to the poor. Now, the poor in this context is anybody who had a, you know, didn't have much in the way of resources and also lost their job and will lose their job because of the, the virus situation. So those people are getting large amounts of money, and the people who probably are going to lose everything are the people who owned businesses. So the people who had money are going to lose, in many cases, everything and end up with debt. And the billionaires, even they are probably going to go down by a third, you know, in the short term anyway. They'll probably go down by a third. So the people who didn't have anything didn't have anything to lose, so there's not much room to go from not having anything to having nothing. It's sort of the same thing. Uh, and in fact, they might get some direct transfers, but the rich are getting killed. Now, I'm not complaining, because you know the rich are the last ones you have to worry about. Take me, for example. Um, my job is basically gone. <clears throat> so my, my career will never come back after this, I predict. Because most newspapers won't be able to uh, survive the downturn because advertising was already so bad and their model was so bad. So a year from now, I would suspect I will not be a cartoonist um, because there won't be a, a market for it the way there, there used to be. Um, I'd still be doing it probably online and stuff. But in terms of my, my career is over, basically. I mean, this will be the last few months that there's something like a, you know, a comic and something like newspapers. So I don't expect newspapers, maybe 75% of them will go out of business, would be my guess. Uh, and, and along with them, 75% of my income. But I'll, I'll figure it out. So I won't be in the bread line. Um, I'm watching uh, CNN uh, try to find something to say bad about Trump. And so Gloria Bor- uh, Borgia, one of their main personalities and pundits, she wrote an opinion piece saying that uh, Trump doesn't have the same amount of empathy as Andrew Cuomo. Well, that's it? That's it? The, the, the best thing or the worst thing that uh, Gloria Borgia could come up with about Trump and this handling of the crisis is that, oh yeah, he does have empathy. She didn't say he has no empathy. And she actually gave examples about how he talked about the hospital, Elmhurst, I think, in his old neighborhood, talked empathetically about somebody he knew personally who is now on a ventilator and in a coma. So she did say he has empathy and that he is actually displaying it. And she didn't really complain about his job you know, doing the job of the crisis management. But her complaint was that compared to Andrew Cuomo, he seems to not have as much empathy. That's it? (laughs) Really? That's it? I mean, it should be noted that one of the things that Andrew Cuomo does better than just about anybody in politics is show empathy. He is sort of the, you know, if if you were going to have a contest and, you know, 
put all the all the uh, politicians in one place and say, "All right, show us some sincere empathy." And it was like a contest where you could pick a winner. It might be Andrew Cuomo. He does seem to have exactly the right uh, fit of charisma and personality and empathy. Just just the way he presents himself, he feels he looks like he's you know heart and soul completely engaged and empathetic. So, and the president is not famous for empathy being his you know primary characteristic, but he's certainly doing it. He's certainly performing. You know, you know, I'll agree with you that compared to the best political empathizer of all time, you know, Andrew Cuomo is really good at this stuff. He's not that good. But does that matter? I mean, it's like the least important criticism I've ever seen. All right, but who else was criticizing them? So Chris Eliza, again, CNN uh, critic of the president, he can't find anything to criticize, so he falls back on hallucinating that he can read the president's mind. And although the, although the actions seem to be okay, there's something he can see penetrating the skull and peering inside that Chris Eliza can see the president's mind. Oh, do you think I'm making this up? Does that sound, does that sound too hyperbolic? Am I, am I making too much of what Chris Eliza said? Well, let's read his exact words. These are his exact words, Chris Eliza. In Trump's mind, that's the first part of the sentence. He's actually telling us what's in Trump's mind in a direct sentence. In Trump's mind, the reason that people are watching the briefings is because of him. What? <laughs> really? Can we see inside his mind, and, and when we peer inside this mind of a stranger with our ESP, we can tell that the only reason he thinks people are watching the briefings is because of his good performance? Do you think the president is unaware of what... Well, let's, here's what Chris Seleza thinks the president doesn't understand. How do I know that, the, that Seleza, Seleza thinks the president doesn't understand this? Well, it's the sentence he wrote, which says, quote, he doesn't understand that. <laughs> because for him, it's always, always, always about him. Seriously? Is he just imagining that the president can't handle two variables at the same time? Because I also can't read the president's mind, but if I were going to make, let's say, a reasonable assumption, wouldn't you say he can handle more than one variable at the same time? Don't you think the president has some notion that people are watching the briefings to get information as well? Not just for his performance, you don't think the president's caught on that there's some transfer of information that people would find valuable and useful and would tune in for it? You don't think the president's caught on to that at all, Chris Alyssa? He's, he's just blind to that. He just thinks they're watching because his performance is good? And, you're, and, and you, you're so confident in this opinion you would write it directly and publish it? I mean... Uh, what do you even say about that? But anyway, that's the worst complaint they have about him is things they hallucinate and he's not as empathetic as the most empathetic politician we've ever seen in public. 
Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay, I, I'll accept those criticisms, I guess. Um, here's a question that I would like to know. Yeah, so this is data that we are not being told uh, and should. How many doctors who have been taking the uh, hydroxychloroquine and the azithromycin, how many doctors who are taking that preventatively, prophylactically, ahead of being affected, how many of them later got infected? Wouldn't you like to know that? Because it seems to me, and maybe they just don't want to admit it yet, there must be a lot of doctors who are taking it just because they're working on the front lines, and of course they're being exposed to it, of course. How many of them went on to get the virus, and then of the ones who got it, how many you know, advanced to some kind of a ventilator or serious stage? Because I feel like the answer is going to be none. Now, maybe we don't have enough numbers to know if it's you know an, enough. I don't know how many doctors have been on the front lines where they're definitely getting exposed at least a little bit and also took it prophylactically long enough that they know they weren't exposed before, I suppose. So maybe we don't have enough numbers, but I think we do. I'll bet we do. So why don't we hear that? Um, let's see. And um, this is from um, Meridian Health Facility. So uh, a doctor was, I think, on Fox News or someplace. He was talking about it. It might have been CNN. And he said there are uh, more than 300 in the ICU and uh, more than 300 on ventilators. And then he said this. He said, we're probably using the hydroxychloroquine recipe in some way or shape or form in about three-quarters of our patients right now. To which I said, three quarters? Why would you not use it on all of them? It could be because the other quarter are uh, testing other drugs, or maybe they're too far gone and they think the hydroxychloroquine only works if you don't have you know, strong symptoms yet. I don't know, but it's a question. What, what, what happened to the other quarter? Is it because they don't have enough? I'd like to know more about that. Um, so the public has responded quite remarkably to all the shortages and needs and stuff, and especially the 3D, the 3D printer community came up with face mask designs that I think it creates sort of the plasticky parts that you can put the mask in somehow. So somehow they figured it out. But I thought, I wonder if that's the future. Could it be? that instead of having all of the components we need for an emergency like this, just sort of sitting in a warehouse, I'm sure we'll have lots more N95 masks in warehouses from this day on. But in addition to that, wouldn't you like that all the 3D makers have plans just in case? And so, you know, the, at the first sign of trouble, could the 3D makers just start, you know, pumping out stuff that they need for this emergency. Maybe we'll be ready for that the next time. Um, here's an idea. Restaurants, of course, are, are just getting devastated. And I'm wondering what kind of things can be done to help them get by. Now, of course, you could buy a gift, gift certificate. Uh, you, could, you could use you know, delivery. You could do pickup and stuff. 
So those things are all great if you have a way to keep your local restaurants in business, but there are also tons of restrictions that the local community puts on restaurants, the state, the county, and the city. And one of the restrictions is uh, outdoor dining. So there, there are always tons of outdoor dining restrictions and you know, don't be on the sidewalk and you don't have a permit for that and you've got to have this and that and you've got to make sure your dog can't be next to a table and, and all that. And I'm wondering if we could just do away with all of that for you know, a year or whatever because the warm weather is coming and it seems to me that restaurants should be able to spread their tables out into the street or the sidewalk or just maybe the parking lot. Maybe the parking lot. Maybe maybe every restaurant is a is a drive up from now on. You can eat in your car, but they'll take it out to you in your car. You know, you just park in the parking lot like a like a drive in. So it's a general question, but I'm wondering how many restaurants would have the the space outside them where they can at least temporarily say, "We'll serve you outdoors or in your car or you drive through." Um, there's a, there's a business in town called the Creamery. It's been here for decades before I was here. So I don't know, it might be 50 years old, but it's a, a local institution. And what it is is a drive-up soft ice cream place. And all summer and even much of the winter, there's a line out in the streets. And you get in your car and you just get in line and they'll take your order while you're in your car so that by the time you get up to the front in your car... They, they have it ready for you, and they're handing it to you, and you drive away. And it is insanely popular, even though it's a little bit inconvenient, but you never get out of your car. And I've often thought that the, a part of the magic is that the kids are bugging the parents, hey, go to the creamery, you know. And the parents are thinking, you know, if I had to park and I had to get out of my car, I'd probably just say, no, you've had enough ice cream. But because I can just sort of drive up, and I'm already in the car, and the kids are in the car, and it's, it's only across the street, it's hard to say no. Because all you have to do is drive over there, and suddenly you've got ice cream. So I think we should think expansively and think about dropping a lot of regulations, including you know bring your bicycle, bring your dog, eat outside, eat in your car. Just all of that. Just just make it all possible and let people see what they can do. Um, so, uh, Senator Bill Cassidy is pitching the idea of an online registry for recovered coronavirus patients so that you know, have, you'd have a way of knowing who could go back to work, who's relatively safe. We're still thinking that having it gives you some degree of immunity, but I think there's a little bit of a question mark on that. Um, Ford and GM, I guess, are teaming up to build ventilators. That's good news. It's good to see our big businesses stepping up. You know, the the president um, hasn't had to use the War Powers Act uh, too much because the businesses are stepping up. And I'm thinking, you know, a lot of what we think about these big companies will be determined by how they respond. You know, how did they treat their employees? Um, did they step up to try to make ventilators? That sort of thing. So I think it's just smart of Ford to really be on board and all these other companies. You know, they shouldn't have to be asked. 
Um, of course, uh, Mike Lindell is getting some heat because he was at the Rose Garden and then the president let him speak and he said good things about the president and some things about God. So people want to use that as an excuse to uh, complain about Mike Lindell. <clears throat> and this is what uh, oh, Sean Davis over at the Federalist, he tweeted this. It was, uh, while you were watching Netflix, talking about Lindell here, he said... He retooled his entire company to make tens of thousands of masks every day to protect people from getting the Wuhan coronavirus. Has there ever been somebody who was more typically American than Mike Lindell? He's the most American guy. Because, first of all, I, I think he's admitted he had cocaine problems or whatever, so when he was younger he had drug problems. So that's the first part that's very American. You know, he started started from some disadvantage formed an American company, makes an American product, um, and then as soon as there's a, um, a big problem in the country, what does Mike Lindell do? Well, he's an American. What's an American do if he has an American manufacturing plant that can do stuff with you know cotton? He makes products with cotton. He just, he just turned over his entire company in like a week and turned it into a mask-making company because he's a patriot. Great American. Great, great American. Um, so here's, here's a weird thing that's happening today. Doesn't it feel like it's a little too quiet? Don't you think? Doesn't it feel a little too quiet today? You know, I tweeted that, and some people were agreeing because they're feeling it. Because the news has been coming at us like a, just a fire hose lately. And I look at the news today, and it's a Tuesday. It's a, sort of a big news day. A lot of news happens on Tuesdays. And there's not much. You know, it's just sort of continuation news and thing people talking about stuff we've been talking about. Not actually any news. Now, it could be just a coincidence. Every now and then you get slow news day, so that would be the, the most likely explanation is it's just slow news day, relatively speaking. But it doesn't feel like it, does it? Do, do any of you feel it? I feel like there's something happening, and it's too quiet. So we'll, I'll just put that out there because I like to you know, put my predictions out there, right or wrong, right or wrong, and I'm not sure we'll ever know if this is right or wrong, because if we just go back to a big news day by this afternoon, well, that's not that unusual. But look for something that's bigger than normal. There just might be something bigger than normal coming. I don't know what it is. Um, I, I see people talking about civil wars and looting and, and all of that. Um, let me say this. While we were all distracted by the coronavirus, we're all distracted by the economy and staying home, we're, we're very distracted in, in all the right reasons because we should be focusing on that. But here's what we didn't notice while we're focusing on all the bad news. The country, and I, I can only speak for America because I don't have a sense of what's happening in other countries. I wouldn't be surprised if it's if it's not the same there. But in this country, just, just think about this following fact. 
and just enjoy it for a moment. Here's the fact. In my lifetime, the country has never been this unified. You know, you could argue that 9-11 was unifying, but not like this. In 9-11, most of us didn't have anything we could do about it. Right? There wasn't anything I could do about 9-11. You know, some people signed up for the military and they found something to do. But most of us didn't. There wasn't much I could do about it. But with this coronavirus situation, everybody can do something. Every single person needs to do something. You not only can you do something, but you're being called on. You're being called on to do something. And I would argue that America has never been closer as, as a people, never been stronger in terms of the idea of America than we are right now. Right, right exactly now. I mean exactly now. Like as I'm talking, this country has never been more united. We all have exactly the same mission, which is to get out of this alive and with our economy as, as good as we can make it. We've never been this unified. Uh, you know, the, the polls are showing some more support for the president. I think that probably will you know, continue um, unless something new happens. And it probably matters that Joe Biden, who should be the big voice of, um, let's say, the voice of dissent, is basically irrelevant. So the biggest voice that you'd expect to be making news and making noise just sort of doesn't exist. Now, what about Bernie Sanders? Bernie Sanders, you would expect, would continue being Bernie Sanders and maybe criticizing the president and doing all that, have you seen that today? Have you seen that yesterday? Did you see Bernie Sanders attacking the government of the United States during a pandemic? Well, we all criticize, right? I criticize today lying about the masks and stuff like that. But Bernie Sanders, apparently, is a patriot. I hate to tell you. Because Bernie Sanders is not making it worse, and he's probably working very hard to make it better. So Bernie Sanders, I would like to re-up my, um, my respect for you for having the right intentions. I still don't like the, the policies per se. <clears throat> but Bernie, um, I think you're, you're being a positive force right now, and I appreciate it. So, that, you know, you'll, well, we'll always have Jim Acosta but I think you would agree he's he's part of the he's part of the entertainment at this point. You can't take him too seriously, are you? Somebody says, "Are you watching the news?" Um, I don't know if that means are you watching the news right now, as in something might be happening. Because I'm not. Um, oh, somebody says, "Describe United." Yeah, here's what I mean. <clears throat> Your your uh, your neighbor can't get out to shop for groceries. That would be my situation, right? So I'm I'm uh, socially distancing, and I I prefer not going to the store because it'd be a little dangerous. Um, I asked somebody to help me, you know, a person in the neighborhood, a young person, to help me get some groceries, and of course she said yes. So, did either of us ask for our political affiliations? Did I need to know the political affiliation of my neighbor I asked for help? No. 
Did she need to know my political leanings in order to give me help? No. No. It's not a question. When you see the political squabbling in the news that used to be fun, you know, even a few months ago, any political squabbling, I'd say, oh, this is fun. We got something to tweet about now. We got a little red meat in there. Oh, I like this. I like this trouble. It was sort of fun trouble. But now when you read some politician is just being a politician, it just looks sort of gross, doesn't it? Because we're in the middle of this together. It just looks slimy. It looks disgusting. And you're seeing more and more people who are willing to um, acknowledge that this isn't a political moment. Uh, you know, the you know, the Jim Acosta is going to be the outlier, but um, I think for most of us, most of us are Mark Cuban right now. You know, what, is, what are Mark Cuban's political feelings about anything? Well, not exactly maybe what the president agrees with, um, but is Mark Cuban being political or is he just helping his employees you know, being a leader in a time of uh, when we, we need lots of leaders. He's doing that. And um, it's not political. He's just trying to help his country. You know, what am I doing? Trying to help the country. What are you doing? Trying to help the country. So the point being that our, um, I think even our, our racial divisions, our class divisions, are looking better than ever. Now, there's, there's sort of a, a Robin Hood thing happening because, as I said, you, you're watching the rich very willingly give up their money or you know, a portion of it, they're still going to be rich. But you're watching the rich completely committed to what do you need. I mean, that's what I say. To me, it looks like the rich have universally said, just tell me what you need. Nobody's saying no. Have you seen any rich people be asked for something and then they say no? I mean, maybe it's happening, but I'm not hearing any stories about that. I'm hearing yes. Company, will you do this? Yes. Person A, will you do this? Yes. Now, this is also true of everybody who's not rich. You know, you non-rich person, will you do this? Yes. Yes, I will. There's more yes happening in this country Right now, like literally as I'm talking, there are more more people saying yes and more people saying, how can I help you? And fewer people saying, you know, what do you believe about politics than ever in my lifetime? So just sort of enjoy it. You know, there, there's going to be way more bad than good during this this next few weeks. Way more bad than good. But that doesn't mean you can't appreciate you know, the little, the little spots of life that are actually kind of special, that are beautiful in their own way. And somebody says, OMG, Scott, you're in a fantasy. Things are falling apart where I live. Um, well, I don't know where you live, but I doubt that you're going to see looting. You know, you're not going to see society falling apart. I believe that we are stronger than we've ever been mentally, uh, spiritually and scientifically, and we're probably the strongest we've ever been. The economy is going to take a serious pounding, though. Uh, I will. Uh, I know I'm going to. Get, 
but my life will be very different after this, apparently. <laughs> so, uh, and most of yours will as well. But we're going to be better off in the long run. Um, why the term social distancing rather than physical distancing? Well, it's a good question. Social does sound friendlier. Uh, TDS boomers attacked my wife. Uh, well, I don't know what that's all about. I keep seeing people saying Trump called COVID a hoax. I think we're past that. Um, are all teachers being paid? I don't know. Good question. My guess is yes. Um, <laughs> all right, China has blue sky. Yeah, that's weird. Somebody says they don't trust Fauci. Things aren't really falling apart that seem that way. Yeah, I don't believe anything's falling apart. All right, so I've looked at your... Uh, somebody says looting in three weeks. Let me, let me give you the anti-looting argument. Looting happens because there are more people than there are law enforcement. I mean, roughly speaking, you know, if you've got a big crowd out there, you don't have many cops, you might get some looting. What's weird about this situation is that the citizens have largely, not largely, but to a great extent, citizens realize their government isn't going to do everything for them this time, because they can't. They just can't. So what would happen if looters appeared in your city and police were, let's say, police were not taking care of it? You know what would happen, right? The citizens armed to the teeth, would walk out onto the streets, they would shoot a couple of looters, and that would be the end of the looters. If looting were to happen, citizens would shoot them, shoot them dead, not the police. Citizens would come out with their own guns, and they would say, looting? No, not on my watch. The looting will be done in 10 minutes. They will shoot somebody. The citizens of your world will shoot somebody dead and then they'll say, who else wants to loot? And then somebody will do it and they'll shoot them dead. After about the second or third person they shoot dead, I'm talking citizens, I'm not talking about the law enforcement, your looting's going to go down quite a bit. So, you know, you can't say that there won't be problems in some corner of the country. It's a big place, so everything's different. You might get some problems. But with our citizens so well-armed and, and the mood being we can't wait for the government to do everything, you're probably safer from looting than any time in your life. Because no looter is going to be alive for 24 hours. You know, it'll, the, at the first sign of noise, armed citizens are going to walk out in the streets with their guns. And if you happen to be breaking a store window in the period of an emergency, in front of a guy with a gun, probably get killed. And by the way, if you're on the jury and, and you're, you have to settle the case of the guy who was looting during a, during a pandemic, right? so during a pandemic is the key phrase here. 
So you know a guy, if you saw a citizen shot somebody who was looting, who didn't really need to, right? You know, he didn't need to shoot them. They were just walking out with some shoes or something. And did. Put me on the jury. Put me on that jury. I'm not convicting that guy. So any citizen who shoots a looter, you know, it's against the law. I don't recommend it, but it's going to happen. And if you put me on the jury, there's just no way I'm going to convict that guy. Because in the context of an emergency, kind of needed to shoot that looter. Sorry. It's an adult decision. Sorry. It's just the way it's got to go. So no, I don't think there's any chance of looting widespread because citizens would just take care of that right away. I guarantee it. Uh, Somebody says you can't shoot somebody for looting. Let me say this as clearly as possible. It's not legal to shoot somebody just for looting. It will happen anyway. And should. I'd be in favor of it, honestly. Um, I'm I'm not saying you should do it. That's not a recommendation. I'm saying it will happen, whether you like it or not. And it will be for the best. Because if it's going to slow down the looting quite a bit, trust me. All right, uh, that's all I got for now. I will talk to you later tonight. You know when, 7 p.m. my time, 10 p.m. Eastern. Talk to you later. <laughs>